Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this chance to be here. Now, Lord, our hearts are really going to need to be open today for your spirit to come and speak to us. There's a word I think you have for us that you want us to hear directly. Help us by the end today to be able to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that's been our our theme text this fall. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So we've talked about each of these. We've spent time, we spent three weeks talking about faith. We talked about that, that, that core faith confession. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That, that is, when we come to believe that in our heart, we have become Christian. That's what makes us Christian, is believing that reality about Jesus. But then also that core reality that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If God is not creator, then the whole story falls apart. So, so we receive those things by faith because as we reflected the third Sabbath on faith, without faith it is impossible to please God because we must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So this is what we learned about faith. And then we moved on to hope. Faith leads into hope. And we realize that we have hope through our faith in Jesus Christ, because through Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That our sins can be forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we have hope in the resurrection, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And God as creator can recreate our lives. And then there was the third point of hope that also becomes a point of faith, and that is the promise of Jesus If I go, I will come again. So these are the things that give us hope. But then we moved on to love. And the first week we talked about the great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandments, both of them start with the word love. Then last Sabbath, Pastor Tim, I thought, did a wonderful job in sharing with us I loved his title, In the Beginning, God So Loved the World. And he talked about how, how the, the eternal love between the members of the Godhead was shared with us and was made reality through Jesus when he came and died for us. Well, one more week now, we're going to focus on love. But I just want to tell you briefly about next Sabbath. Next Sabbath is a special Sabbath. It's Festival Sabbath. And so the the church choir with brass, and we're going to have a strings group, and the the FLA bell choir is even getting in on part of it. This is going to be a really special Sabbath, so you're going to want to be here. You may even want to think about coming to more than one service because it's going to be that good. But Danielle is going to lead the choir uh, for a very special service where we're going to tie all of these faith, hope, and love ideas together uh, in, in a special day of celebration. And then Pastor Justin is going to lead out at second service with, uh, with songs and a number of things as well, tying it together. So you may very well want to catch more than one next week. But uh, All right, so that's next week. But one more week about love. And what I want to tell you about love is actually very simple today, and it's printed in your bulletin, and it's on the screen. It's a very simple statement. God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God 
Because, why? God is love. All right, now, now that passage has been set to tune before. I guess that, uh, Pastor Derek actually had a tune for it that he did. I learned one, Alicia and I learned one, uh, I think in our academy days that went along with that, that was in the, the King James Version, Beloved, let us love one another. Did any of you know that version? So, so I wouldn't have been on my own if I'd have kept singing. All right, very good. But uh, powerfully put those words in my mind, but it makes that point, God is love. Now, there's, that's a very important phrase, and I believe in that phrase is contained something very important that suggests to us why love is the greatest of these. And let me show you what I mean. We would never say God is faith, would we? It just doesn't quite capture it, does it? I mean, we would say God is faithful, and we could say uh, that God helps me to have faith and things like this, but somehow to say God is faith, yeah, it doesn't really capture it. And we could never say God is hope, right? I mean, I could say I have hope in God, I have, God gives me hope, um, there is much hope in Him, these kinds of things, and, and it's true, but it's not complete, is it? But God is love, and that's something else, isn't it? So in other words, what I think this is saying to us is that this really is the deepest reality about God. Now, we have those faith confessions, those core confessions. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And while those may be the deepest faith confessions in us, they themselves are just realities um, with, with something else that sits deeper to them. There is a motivational reason that Jesus is the Savior. There's a motivational reason that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the motivational reason behind those acts, those identifying acts of Jesus and of God, is God is love. That's the motivator. That's why Jesus saved us. God is love. That's why God made the world in the first place. God is love. If anybody ever asks you, why does something exist instead of nothing, your very simple answer is, God is love. That's the answer. So there's a series of five books. I'm sure you've seen it. We call it the Conflict of the Ages series. Ellen White wrote these five books that go from, from uh, the, the before the creation of the world all the way to the restoration after everything is done. It's all in this, in this five-book set. And by the way, there's a, there's a new edition of it coming out. It looks pretty interesting. You may want to check it out. But anyway, uh-oh, my shoe might be untied. All right. The very first line... In Patriarchs and Prophets, which is the first one of that series, and one, it's one of my very favorite books of all. But the very first line of the very first chapter, now you actually have to go to page 33 to get to the first line of the first chapter, um, but that's because you got the preface and the introduction and everything. But if you go to page 33, chapter 1, the very first words you will read are these. It's right here. It says, God is love. His nature, His law is love. It has ever been, it ever will be. The history of the great conflict between good and evil from the time it first began in heaven to the final overthrow of rebellion and the total eradication of sin 
is also a demonstration of God's unchanging love. God is love. It's the explanation for all existence. God is love. It's the explanation for why God gave us His law. Why did God give us law? Well, because He didn't want us to waste our lives living in ways that hurt ourselves and hurt each other. He gave us law because God is love. It's the explanation for the atoning work of Jesus, and it's the explanation for John chapter 14, verse 3. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, why is it you come back so that you can be with someone? It's because you love. Now, there's a couple implications here, and these implications take the form of what we call the great commandments. If we are the children of the God who is love, then we will be children of love, and we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we will love our neighbors as ourselves. That's how it will work if we are the children of the God who is love. So now, I want to walk us a little bit through 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to look at the practical side of this. So we're going to go back to verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now this idea of love within the community, because you see that clearly in this, that that if we love, it means we know God. If we don't love, it means we don't know God. That, That this existence of love within the community is a definitive reality. In fact, love for one another should be an identifying characteristic of the people of God. And I'm not just saying that. Jesus said this. So we go to John 13, verse 34. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now catch this verse, 35. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? if you love one another. All right, so we've been doing this little thing here since the beginning of the year where we, where we look around at each other in the room. So we're going to do it again right now. I want you to turn your head and look around. Go ahead, do it right now. Turn and look around at all these different people around you. Do you see all these people? We look around at the group and then we say these words. These are the people I love. Let's do it again. These are the people I love. All right, we're going to come back to that in a second. But before we do, we need to go a little further in 1 John chapter 4 and ask ourselves this question. What, how do we know what love is? What does it mean? So verse 9, this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. So the love of God is active. In fact, the love of God is proactive. We'll get to more on that. Verse 10, this is love. You want to know what love is? This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So here's a, here's a question. Who loved first, you or God? God loved first, didn't He? And when did he start to love? Was it after we'd become fairly charming and he thought, oh, I kind of like them a little bit. Maybe I'll love them. Is that how that worked? Well, not according to Romans 5. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves first, and God acts first. John 3.16, you know it. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We're going to say something about that everlasting life piece again in a second. But let's, do you know verse 17 too? For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So what is love? Or better, how does God show love? And what are the implications for our lives and for our identity as children of God, as the followers of Jesus? Well, 1 John 3.16 really gets to this. So we have John 3.16, but then we also remember 1 John 3.16. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Okay, we're good so far, right? Ready for the implication? And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 1 John 4, 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. All right, so I want to try to pull some of these things together here. John 13 has told us that by our love, they will know us. And now John, 1 John is telling us that no one has seen God, but that if we love each other in this place, then, then God lives in us. Now it's saying no one has seen God, but if God is living in us, then, then that means, right, that people would have the opportunity to see God, to know something about God by seeing us if in fact God lives in us. And God lives in us if we love one another. So I want you to think about this for a moment because this puts kind of a different spin on this idea of these are the people I love. The tendency when we say that is to think that that's a very insular kind of concept. That these people in this room I love and that's about as far as it goes. Well, of course the love needs to go beyond that. But let me say something about what happens when the love we have for each other in this place is a quality love. What happens is that people who see us will identify us as followers of Jesus. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, by your love for each other. When we love each other well, it is an evangelistic act. Did you know that? We would cause much more of a stir in this community by loving each other well in a way that was obvious than we ever would by putting up banners and preaching lots of things from the front. We would be much more effective if love really sat at the core of the community. Then when we did get up and talk about other things, people would be eager to learn about them because they'd be like, wow, this is an amazing group of people. What is it that drives them? Then we bring truth. Understand that we must be a people of love before being a people of truth matters. Truth sits on top of love. 1 John 4, 13, 
This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. See how it becomes evangelistic? If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. So the Spirit comes, testifies to our hearts, we become convicted that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and we make that, con- that confession and we live that conviction, but to live that conviction means to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. So you're starting to see how all of these things come together in love? Faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. Verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Now here it is again. You see it? God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So here we go. Obvious question time. The text says whoever lives in love lives in God. So here's the question. Do you live in love? If you take a look inside your heart right now, are you living in love? Is love what motivates you? Is love what drives you? Or are there other motives in there competing with love? Ambition, anger, hurt, fear. What are you living in? I want to finish up 1 John 4, and we're going to move through these next texts fairly quickly. Verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. That's an interesting statement. We'll, we'll, uh, I'll explain that as I understand it in a second. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So so let me talk about this idea of how we are like Jesus in the world. And here's, here's five ways that I think we're like Jesus in the world. Number one, we are reliant upon the Father. So Jesus in the world was reliant upon the love of the Father in his life. We are the same. Number two, His love is manifest in us. The Father's love was manifest in Jesus, and now that same love is manifest in us and how we treat each other and those around us. Number three, we reveal God's love by the way that we love. Jesus came to reveal the love of the Father, and now we are sent out to reveal that same love in the world. So in this way, we are like Jesus in the world. Number four, when we love, God's love lives in us. And number five, When we live in God's love, we have no fear of the judgment. God is love, and love drives out fear. When we live in love, we live free from fear. Now, but I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying here. This love that I'm talking about is not a self-centered, selfish love of self kind of thing. Did I work self in there enough? You get the idea, right? It's about out there. God is love, and when we live in love, we live according to the way God has set before us. And what has he set before us? The great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And this is where, dri- where John drives home this point in the last three verses. Now, this, this really does get tight here, so, so listen there. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. So that's our basis. Verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a what? Liar. Boy, I don't want to call you a liar. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So here we go. A second ago, we looked around us in the room. Don't do it now. You might give yourself away. All right? We looked around us. And your eyes might have fallen on different people, some that made you smile, and some where you thought, yeah, I don't really like them. Here's the deal. They may very well deserve your scorn. They may have even earned your hate. Because that happens, right? But let me ask you this while you reflect on that. What did we as humans, by merit of the rebellion of Adam and Eve, earn from God? Did we earn love with that? No, we earned being cast away. But yet God still loved, didn't he? Let's go to our own personal lives. You and your own life. Let me see the hands of everyone who has lived a perfectly faithful life. And I'm only raising mine as a demonstration. Okay? We haven't, have we? What has our unfaithful lives earned us with God? Certainly hasn't earned us love, yet God has continued to love. How many of you loved God before He loved you? Nobody. One down front. How many have saved yourselves? None of us. Now, here's the thing. I'm not saying the expectation that we love the one who has hurt us is fair. In fact, I'm saying it's not fair. But I'm also saying God's love for us isn't fair either. And he's not calling us to anything he hasn't done himself. In fact, that he hasn't done even more. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Now, here's the necessary balance statement. I am not saying that we promote or enable abuse. We absolutely do not. Rather, we confront abuse Because love confronts abuse. It doesn't let abuse happen. All right? We're clear on that? I'm not saying that every relationship you have can be reconciled. But I am saying you must live in love even if you can't live in close proximity. Because if you hold hate in your heart, it will kill you. And it will put you in significant danger if you claim to love God but hate your brother and sister of what John refers to as a liar. 
I'm not saying you're not justified. I'm not saying you don't have a right. I'm just saying don't do it, okay? Don't do it. Why? Because God is love. And all who live in God's kingdom live in love. So, so here's the thing. Something I've figured out over the course of my life. God loves me. Now, I haven't concluded that because, because uh, I've been blessed by God with all kinds of things. Now, I have been blessed by God, and I, and, and I have no complaints about my, my material possessions and where I'm at. There are those that have more. There are many more that have less. But, but what makes me say God loves me has nothing to do with that. And I don't say God loves me because my life has been a dream, easy from the start. Now, I'm not going to lie. I had great parents, and that was a huge blessing for me. And, I, and I'm not even going to claim my life has been as hard as maybe yours has been. I don't know. But I will tell you it hasn't been easy. I've had some hard times. But it's not because it's been easy that I would say God loves me. And, and I wouldn't even say it's because I've always had perfect health. That's not the measure by which I've determined whether or not God loves me. Because I'm reasonably healthy right now, uh, given everything. But I wasn't always. When I was very young as a child, I had a heart condition. That was different from what my son Nathan had. But I had a heart condition that for, for the first six years of my life, they weren't even sure I was going to make it. You go through things like that and it changes you. And I have no idea how it might have changed me because I was just a kid. And these things, how do they build into your life? What does God do with these things? I'm, but what I'm saying by this is I'm not saying I know God loves me because it's been a smooth ride. And I'm not saying that God loves me because my adult life has been nothing but smooth sailings. I've had a lot of disappointments in my life. I've had things that I thought were going to happen that didn't happen. I've had stuff that I was sure God should do that he didn't do. I even had trouble that was my own fault. In fact, most of my troubles have been my own fault. But I've had trouble that came from people I love. I've had trouble that came from people I hate. But all of that, just put it over here. That's not why I'm saying God loves me. And you know I'm not saying God loves me because he's always protected the people closest to me and there's never been pain anywhere close to me. I mean, you, you know what Nathan went through with his heart attack. Alicia with cancer for the last year. There's other trials you don't know about. I don't know about all the trials in your life. But I'm not saying God loves me because I haven't had trials. What I am saying is that I know God loves me because as I've gone through every step of that, God has been near. And he has spoken hope and peace and love to me. And here's the thing. God has been near to me and loved me even during the years when I was not really an active participant in the plan he had for my life. You know what I mean, right? I'm going this way. He's saying, you really be happier over there. And I'm like, no, I'm still going this way. He didn't stay over there. He stayed with me. You see, God loves me. And God sent Jesus to save me. And God loves me. He's made known to me His saving grace. God loves me. He sent me to this place so I could be with you, so that we, you could be the people I love in this place, in this time. I know God loves me because God is 
love. Here's the thing. It really does all boil down to that simply profound song that every child knows and every theologian must never forget. Maybe you know this one. You can sing it with me if you do. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So there it is. It's simple, right? God loves me, but here's the thing. God loves you. God loves you. It's who He is. God is love. Now, earlier I read you a few words from Patriarchs and Prophets, that first book in the Conflict of the Ages series by Ellen White. The first words of that book are God is love. But now I want to read you some words that come from the very end of that series, from the book The Great Controversy. And I mentioned to you before that 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 book played a very key role in my own life that that ended up with me here as a pastor in the first part of that book, the Martin Luther story and amazing things. But anyway, this is right towards the end. I want to read you the last paragraph of that book. And this is after the context here. Jesus has returned. God has remade the the world. Everything is restored perfection. Here it is. Great Controversy, page 678. The great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. Now here's the last sentence. Catch this sentence. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things, animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that what? God is love. It's the first word at the beginning and it's the last word at the end. Faith, hope, love, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because God is love. God loves you. Now, I want you, I want you to look at me while I say that, and I want you to hear it, okay? Not just words right now, straight to the heart, okay? God loves you. God loves you with a love that will not let you go. He knows how weak you are. He knows how feeble your attempts to love Him are. He knows how imperfectly you love the ones you love. But throughout all of it, His love for you has never faltered. The love of God cannot falter because God is love. So here's the appeal. Come to your Father through Jesus your Lord 
and let him love you today. Let him love you. Be reconciled to him today. I know right now that you in your heart can feel the Holy Spirit calling you to believe this because I feel it in my own heart right now. To believe that God loves me. Give in to the Spirit right now. Give in to the love of God. The love for you that will never die. How has God proven His love for you? He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for your sins. God loves you with a love that will not let you go. Faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, right now, with your Holy Spirit, come to our hearts. Come to the one who feels the most unlovable right now. And surround that one with the warmth of the presence of your Spirit and a voice whispering in his ear, her ear, I love you. I love you. I love you. I pray, Lord, we would hear that voice and that we would believe faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. In Jesus' name, amen.